I met my wife through gaming. We both worked uh, at the same company, and a co-worker of ours started up a little one-shot game, uh, invited us each to play. That was the first time I had sat next to her for more than, oh, say 30 seconds at a time. So that was the first time we really met. Uh, we got along pretty well, and within a year after that, we were engaged. So that's my gaming story. It turns out gaming has done pretty well for me. My name is Andy Collins, and I am the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. Bopo Network is the bomb. The cutting edge of geekdom. Comics, advice, D&D. Movies, video games, RPGs. Finding it's easy just to stay calm. VorpalNetwork.com This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon store. This is Robert J. Schwab, the Prince of Darkness of Gaming, and uh, I'm here on The Tome Show. Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, we're going to summon a demon and betray our companions because they had the audacity to read the Book of Vile Darkness in this, the 187th regular episode of the show. With us today is the perfect person to discuss stabbing people in the back, the proprietor of Sly Flourish himself. It's the return of Mike Shea. Hey, how's everybody? You like how I did stabbing in the back and yeah, a, 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 a I was power? insulted until I remembered that it was sly flourish. Right, right. And I was okay with it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, crashing our party completely uninvited, and we all kind of wish you would go away. We also have Mike James. <laughs> Mike James. <laughs> hey, Mike James. Mike James. So, so I wonder if I should clear up why I don't I don't answer to the Mike James thing, or if that would make this too dramatic. We're just happy you don't answer to it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so, we've got Matt, uh, who, you know, if we let him, we'll take credit for writing half the book. We've got Mike, who is our resident DM expert. And then, of course, you've got Tracy and I. Uh, but first, some quick news and updates on kind of some stuff happening in the in the show. We do have some new Tome Show production shows in the works. You will hopefully hear two Brand new Tome Show production shows coming out on the feed uh, this month uh, to start off the new year. Um, and so be looking for that, and we'll, we'll leave you in suspense. And then uh, we've got some upcoming episodes, including Sam, our editor, is going to lead a discussion on the Madness of Gardmore Abbey adventure. And Tracy, is, Tracy and I are going to uh, continue our book club series, this time looking at everything I need to know I learned from Dungeons & Dragons. Dun, dun, dun. Any other news? Greater Than Games is all about making the games that we've always wanted to play. We love playing games, and we love our ridiculous process of game creation. 
The most important thing to us is to make the sorts of games you want to play available to everyone. Go to sentinelsofthemultiverse.com for more information. Today, we're talking about the Book of Vile Darkness, the product to help you infuse evil into your game, be you a player or a DM. It has infected our brains already, so what do we want to talk about first, the... The form, of yeah, the, pro- the physical product, or yeah, I, yeah. Before we get into the actual content, I want to talk about what what this thing is because I've been jokingly calling it the the booklet of general nastiness and the leaflet of mean, mean tricks. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I have an issue. Don't I un- forget the map. I under yeah I know. I, I have a cool map. I under- my favorite part. <laughs> I I understand that that there's been a push for for trying out new form factors and stuff but if the product is called the book of anything it should be a book there is there's one called the book of vile darkness and then there's a player's guide which is called the book of vile darkness doesn't have a title i think if podcasts have the name of tome show it should be read from a tome it is it's a to me oh the to me duh now now now, Mike Shea, I will have you know if you if you look at this thing, it's called the title page. They both yeah, it says they, they book bo- of Vile Darkness players book. The, the title page and the other one is called the Book of Vile Darkness Dungeon Masters book. So there's two books. No, but the on the front it says the Book of Vile Darkness role playing game supplement. Yes, but on the title page they're both the same book. No, and- <laughs> they're all gonna okay. laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just kind of wish it had been one book. This is all I'm saying. I'm kind of over. I'm kind of over the needless slipcover thing. Hey, I, Jeff, here's what you do: grab grab some masking tape, <laughs> put put one book in front of the other, and tape it around the binding. One book. I get it. A hard piece of cardboard. I, up front. I get it. There I, you go. I just feel like they're 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 adding slipcases and and flimsy boxes on things that, hey, that, hey, don't, that hey, don't need hey, it. Monster Monster Vault Thrusting into your veil came in this so-called flimsy cover. Uh huh, and, and that was an excellent game-shattering product. It was an ex, and I'm not. I, I am not speaking at, of the quality of the product. I'm saying I don't like the form of oh. the product. See, so one thing I will say though is I've seen a lot of people complain that the players are learning too much about what the DMs are only supposed to know. So if it was all in one book, then the players would know everything. And, and Tracy brings up a great point that if a DM buys this product, he can separate the player content, hand it to his players while keeping this to himself. No, and you're what right. was the what was the cover cost of this? I don't know. I so paid it's it. Ten dollars less. Thirty dollars. Neverwinter campaign setting, right? With, and the Neverwinter campaign setting is probably the next book that is similar to it in that's combined, right? General format that's combined. It's got a player section and it's got a now it's a significantly longer book too. But it's a you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm happy yeah. with it the way it is. The price point on this Neverwinter is clearly a nicer book. Yeah, the price point's between twenty and thirty dollars on this book, depending on the site you go to. Right. The cover price is thirty. Yeah, and the cover price is 30. MSRP is 30. Right. All right, anyway, I'll quit mo- mo- moaning and, and whining and whatever. Anything else uh, we notice in terms of form before we get into content? You know, what do we think of the think art, the, the, art first... the layout, and all that? Is this the first one that's come in a slipcover like this? Uh, for player and DM content. The other slipcover was Monster Vault, uh, the second Monster Vault. Did that come in a slipcover? Yes, it did. Okay. I never bought it. I didn't really like that one. Oh my god. 
I'm going to tell Brian R. James. So, uh, so I was just going to say, you were talking about the art. I wanted to say that both Wayne Reynolds and Wayne England did the art for both of these, for this entire product, both of the books within the product. And I really, really, I've liked these artists uh, since third edition. Yeah, the art's good. It's really good. It now, have any now and, well, well, and don't don't get me wrong. There's, if you, I mean, I'm looking at the inside cover now, and there's a crap ton of artists that are in on this, but uh, the cover illustrations were done by both those wings. Yeah. And there are there are moments where I I don't necessarily know how the art fits into the the conversation on the page, but the art is actually really nice uh, and and interesting and captures sort of the theme well. I like uh, just as an example, I'm on page eight of the player's book. Uh, and you've got this uh, dwarven-looking guy swinging his flail around, and the end of the flail is some some sort of a head. I imagine like a warforged head that he, you know, some enemy he defeated. Maybe, which, which is just pretty wicked cool. That does look like a war. Could war just like a head. Thong, yeah. And it could be like a heads, like a iron, like a golem sculpture. head. Yeah. Yeah, but I like the idea that it's you know a former PC. It could, it could be Jeff Griner's head. All right, so let's move on to something productive then, since nobody wants to hear me moan. So, no, well, no, I was just looking at the image. Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say that maybe we should talk about what the Book of Vile Darkness is supposed to be, uh, and what its history has been. Sure. Who do you want to talk about that? Start with you, Matt. So the original Book of Vile Darkness, as far as supplements in 3rd edition, came out in October of 2002. As discussed, it was written by Monty Cook. And what it did, it was kind of a... it was. I mean, I wasn't in on it, obviously. But from what I understand, it was going to be... It was always going to be a sister product to the uh, Book of Exalted Deeds. Kind of the you know yin and yang of good and evil in the axiomatic alignment scale. And... Uh, it was purposely designed to be uh, to have adult content, and if I recall correctly, it has a very explicit kind of label on it that says, you know, mature audiences only. And um, I do very much remember when this book came out and kind of being like, "Oh man, this is this is crazy," because it had a lot of really, you know. It dealt with topics that are somewhat difficult to deal with in real life, let alone in a fantasy game, and it just provided a more in-depth look at, you know, the reasonings and motivations for why people commit vile and and corrupt acts. Um, So uh, the fourth edition version, it does talk about some of these topics. I wouldn't say that it goes to the same extent, obviously. But this is not a supplement that you want to buy your, like, 10-year-old son um, and have him look through it. Because it goes into the motivations of committing evil acts uh, and things like that. And while it's not uh, explicit on on the nature of evil acts, it is very implicit. Um, but it, it's great because it, it tells it, – it goes into how the motivations behind characters for while they provide evil – or, uh, you know – produce evil acts, so to speak. So instead of just being, I'm this way, I'm evil, and that's just the way it is, it actually talks about how evil comes about. So um, Robert Schwab did a really great job on this. 
And if anybody's going to do a, a book about <laughs> e- evil in D&D, for some reason, Rob Schwab seems like a, a good choice. Yeah, definitely. This, this is definitely a good, uh, a good source book to get Schwabbed with, as I like to say. <laughs> defiled by Schwab. No, no, not defiled. You get Schwabbed. You <laughs> get really Schwabbed up with this book. Yeah, you, you missed that conversation, Tracy. Uh, Matt's trying to turn it into a verb. It is a verb. I'm going to have shirts at uh, the convention that's going to say, I got Schwabbed. Um, and it's definitely in honor of my good friend, Robert Schwab. So, but the verb can be good things. You can be like, I helped an old lady across the street. I feel very Schwab. All right. So let, let's Schwab this episode along. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, so, Schwab off. So there's some of the, uh, there's some of the, uh, background of the Book of Wild Darkness. And it does have a longer history, doesn't, doesn't it? In terms of in-game sort of lore. Correct. I mean, the Book of Vile Darkness is an item in the game of D&D and has been since before 3rd edition. Is that, is that yes. correct? Yeah. It was a magical item in 2nd. Okay. Yes. Correct. It was an extremely powerful, like kind of almost an artifact tome that uh, any who would read upon its pages would be grasped by the powers of darkness and evil and corruption. So it's almost the D&D version of the Necronomicon. Say that one more time. The Necronomicon. It's like the D and D Necronomicon. Correct. In a, in a way, and actually, in some in some campaign worlds, you can have the Book of Vile Darkness and the Necronomicon reside side by side. But yes, it's it's along those lines. Whereas the, the Necronomicon is more of creation of undead and things like that. Where this is just just the most vile, corrupt nastiness ever. Awesome. So let's. It, it's broken up into basically three products, three to two-ish plus products: uh, a player book, a DM book, and a map that goes along with the adventure in the DM book. Let's start with the player book since it's the uh, smallest. We should be able to fly through it really quick. But this is where a lot of the crunch lives. Yeah, there's a lot of crunch in both books. That's true. And actually. I think one of the more useful bits of the whole thing is the non-crunch parts because I, th- I feel like a lot of people, um, especially <laughs> people who have primarily played 4th edition, might struggle with the concept of how to pull off evil characters in a, in a game um, successfully because there are a lot of possible pitfalls to, to run into that would ruin your game. Um, and so it, it does take a, a little bit of extra hand, a little bit of finesse to, to make it work well. And um, they lay out quite a bit of good advice on how to do that. Well, okay, everybody else likes the advice part, huh? <laughs> no, I, I, I liked a lot of the advice. Uh, are we staying to, sticking to the player's advice right now? Yeah, let's stick to the player's advice right now. Okay. Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty good. And I, I felt like it had a lot of good inspiration in there, too. I mean, some of it, the be considerate and stuff like that, it's useful in any game, right. regardless if you're playing an evil character. I found I found a lot of that to be true, regardless. A lot of the advice, uh, in well, and we'll get to it again, um, throughout is pretty good advice for all games, regardless of evil, but maybe especially important to keep in mind when playing evil. Matt, stop, stop making dough. Sorry, I don't think that's me. <laughs> it's you. I'm watching it. So, um, so the player book, yeah. This is where you're also getting all of your new themes. Yep. Some of which, again, I, I felt like I could, I could use some of these as a non-evil character. 
You know, I can see being a, a what is it, an outcast noble. Mm-hmm. Right. Most of these. I mean, I like the uh, the Reaver a lot. I was actually, I'm surprised one of the players in my group would probably love to play a Reaver, and I don't know that I allowed it, so I might open it up so I can play that one. Yeah, I mean, there's a few that would be hard to, to justify, like the Vile Sco- Scholar is going to have a hard time being non-evil. Right. Although I might, yeah, I might actually unlock some of this in my Gloomrock campaign. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good match. I was going to say, there, there is uh, some fleeting uh, content all throughout both of these books that, that bring in Evard, which obviously has, I mean, he, I know he's mentioned in, uh, in the Shadowfell uh, uh, campaign books. And uh, so, yeah, this has a lot of synergy with that if you're running, running a campaign like that. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's worth noting a lot of the little quotes and things that they use are, are interesting and, and entertaining as well. Um, I mean, they, the the concept of the Book of Isle Darkness is that you have all these 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 evil wizards and creatures and undead and gods and demons and devils and whatever who have all sort of contributed to this book. Uh, and so, following that theme as they wrote the book, you can actually see you know why it would make sense to have a quote from Beelzebub on one page and Loth on the next page. Yeah, I kind of dig that. Yep. Yeah. And some of them are Sometimes, some of them are really funny. Yeah. I guess the Demogorgon one was one. Uh, I don't know if that's in this or the DM one. But I guess sometimes with some of the powers, I just felt they were still a little too heroic. Like uh-huh. there weren't there weren't enough powers that really did nasty things. There yeah, were some of the, that some of the feats have something interesting. There's a feat that lets you pass your ongoing damage to an ally. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind yeah, of yeah, like uh, the disgraced nobles got the regrettable sacrifice where uh, you choose an ally and they lose a healing surge. If they can't lose the surge, he or she takes damage equal to their healing surge value, and then you regain hit points equal to your surge value. So it's kind of funny. You kind of siphon off of them. Yeah. Right on. So beyond those themes, you also have a, a handful of new Paragon Paths. Um, you know, we have the, the Blood Crazed Berserker, which sort of fits in with the Reaver Barbarian sort of concept, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Contract Killer, which is your, your sneaky bad guy. I like the Demonologist. Yep. Yeah. And the Demonologist uh, had this interesting mechanic with the, the Closet Companion that you get. Right. Yeah. Let's see what else. The Idol of Darkness, the Vermin Lord. Didn't we already have a Vermin Lord for druids? <clears throat> I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe it was just uh the the way one of my players played his druid, it made me think that way. <laughs> oh, he's cuz he was a swarm druid. That's what made me think of that. And then you get your Epic Destiny like the Exemplar of Evil. An interesting name. That raises some people's hackles after a previous edition ending. And feats. And that's pretty much this book. Thoughts, ideas, suggestions, comments. I like the heavy focus on back on backgrounds. Um, you know, one of the one of the nice things backgrounds seem to fit a little better than the standard. Um, the standard progression that they've been adding in a lot of other books. So, I mean, you know, a common 
some have complained, and, and I would complain, that there's so many different powers and feats and, you know, classes and, you know, there's so, there's so much stuff. But backgrounds are kind of a nice way to throw something on top of a character that, that changes them without changing all of the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all of it still can end up leading to the same problem, which is that your min-maxers, um, you know, um, no, no names mentioned, but uh, <laughs> um, min-maxers are going to end up finding exactly the right background to throw on top of their right character in order to do horrible, horrible things. But I, I think at this point in the design of the game, the designers have a pretty good understanding of what not to do. Although I, I think I saw, I, I can't remember if it was in this book or something I saw recently where they start to mess with crits again. And, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, always, that's always a mistake. I don't know why you ever mess with crits. Um, but I, I kind of dig backgrounds. I like the way backgrounds kind of overlap on top of everything else. It gives you a definite flavor to a character without radically altering the character. It's funny that that you're the person who, on one hand, complains consistently about how much stuff there is, how many powers there are, how many feats there are, that kind of stuff, and yet you're the, also the person that wants more crunch. Uh, I'm not sure that I always want more crunch. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I like I want, more, I want more DM crunch, and I get plenty of that in the other book. <laughs> right. I li- I like how you can take this product, like I was saying earlier, and kind of hand one book to the players, and you can. You can kind of run an entire campaign just using the content within these books. And, uh, yeah. I mean, not to interrupt you, Matt, but I'm going to anyway. The, um, (laughs) one of the, one of the things about the more recent, the more recent releases in, in fourth edition, uh, that I really like is using these as a modular, as, you know, making the whole 4E game a more modular game. So when you want to run a smaller campaign that's focused around a, a, a general theme, you pick source material that fits that theme and then right. kind of whitelist all of your material. So you might say we're going to use Heroes of the Fallen Lands, Here are the Forgotten Kingdoms, Here is a Shadow, and Book of Vile Darkness. And it's going to be a, you know, evil, evil game. And we're going to run six sessions. Yeah, right. but, and even in, even in Dungeon and Dragon Magazine Online with, like, the Heroes of the Moonshay and... You can kind of take those smaller products and and do what you just explained, where you can just use the stuff from that, and it's all self-contained. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm done running open campaigns in 4e. You know, at this point, the only the only games I'm going to run are going to be limited. It's funny because uh, this is advice that I've heard a lot, um, but I first started hearing it in previous editions. Uh, it seems like a, an edition gets to a point where there's an, so much stuff that. One of the ways to <clears throat> encourage creativity and encourage um, tying yourself to a campaign is by limiting your options and limiting the, the character's options. Right. Um, and, and, that, gives, and, yeah. and that's pretty consistent advice. And it gives you a lot of freedom. You know? Now, the problem is I, you know, the, the players aren't always crazy about it. They, like, they want full access to everything. And the other thing is the character builder doesn't really support that very well. No. Uh, and you know, both of those – I mean – you know, from the player side, what helps is when it's a relatively limited campaign. You know, when you say like, "Look, this is a six session thing, or an eight session thing, or a twelve session thing," and it's not a you know level one to thirty campaign where you don't get access to everything. But right. um, uh, but I think it, I I think it's a lot of fun. I know from I don't you know I guess from the player side I don't really I don't know because I've never played in a campaign like that. But from the DM side, I like the idea that this game is going to the whole game is going to feel differently. 
than another one. And, you know, and I think, you know, getting back to Book of Vile Darkness, I think that this would be a really nice supplement uh, to add in to a darker themed, um, a darker themed campaign. Exactly. Yeah. I, I found it was interesting some of the stances too. They added they use stances for some of the powers. Hmm. I missed that. Which ones which ones do that? Uh one of them's the Vile Scholars Corrupt the Flesh. Uh Utility Two. And then uh Maniacal Fury is a stance as well. That's uh the blood crazed berserker. And I, I feel like there's at least one or two more of them. Hmm. It's just, I think it's just an example of this is a, a design element that, that sort of has been developed and, and it works for certain things. And so you're going to see it popping up here and there more and more. It's just one more tool in their toolbox. Yeah. And I guess the stances would break other existing stances. Yeah, I'm pretty right. sure. Like and you, then if you decide to break your stance, then you, you lose, lose this one. Yeah. Because uh, both of those are two are dailies. Hmm. Cool. Any other player stuff to discuss? All right. Then on to the DM book, which is the, the heftier of the two tomes, which is also full of all kinds of fantastic advice and inspiration <laughs> and campaign ideas and discussions. Curses. I was going to get to your crunchy stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and I also feel like, again, a lot of this advice is really useful. Uh, it's really important to keep in mind, uh, for, especially for newer DMs or newer people who are newer to running evil-themed campaigns. A lot of it, I think, is really good campaigns anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I, I found a few things fairly interesting as I was as I was reading through some of like the the campaign arcs because there's two campaign arcs uh, listed: War on Hell and Hunger of the Nine Tongued Worm. And I was reading through some of it. It's like I'm not sure at certain points, especially at the heroic tier, um, how easy it is to like even even here in this book, it seems like you're asking the players to be a little bit heroic. You know. There's a few, yeah, there's a like few... the campaign themes aren't really necessarily evil. Right. They don't have a lot of evil uh, lines in them, right? There's I mean, not... they get they get more evil later on uh, through Paragon and Epic, where it's like, okay, now it's Beelzebub versus Asmodeus, and you have to pick a side. Okay, right. I get that, but but in the heroic tier, it's you can still do that heroic. <laughs> right. <laughs> My heroic guys are now, you know, Loth is their quest giver. So. Right. But but th- but the way this one is written, you know, the heroic tier is, hey, this village is in danger and you need to go save them. You know, sure, you're doing it because there's a great reward to it or, or whatever, uh, and you can justify all up and down. But it's not, you know, the actual things that you have the PCs doing don't necessarily invoke the PCs being evil. Right. But they're really interesting and fun campaign arc ideas. Right. Right. I also like. I have, I have to ask though. Yeah. How many people do you think actually use these campaign arcs, like all the way through? I mean, how many people are running one to thirty campaigns? Me. Are you? Yeah. And when when did you start? Uh, two weeks after fourth edition came out. Right. And uh, <laughs> how are you going to work this in? <laughs> like you're, you know, the problem is like, I mean, I like them, and right. You know, not to not to self plug, but I wrote a DDI article that had a campaign arc in it, mm-hmm. and people really liked it. They're like, I really like that campaign arc. 
I, I'm, I think there's lots of stuff that we really like that we don't actually use. No, I think that's true. And, but, but what this is, is this is a, a place where people will get inspiration. And it's a place where people can look for an example of how to build, yeah. how to build a campaign arc. And that's where I wonder, like, if it wouldn't have been better to focus on examples that really plugged into this, you are an evil person from, from beginning to end, you know? I guess. I mean, it's just, I'm not... I know what would be more useful for me is instead of two campaign arcs that go from heroic to epic, I would rather have six mini campaign arcs that have a more focused, each one has a more focused uh, storyline. Yeah, that's fine. Because that's something I'll actually use. Like, I, I can, you know, I can see playing, again, like an 8 to 12 session game based on something like this. But, you know, I just don't know that many people that run full 1 to 30 campaigns you know, and, and those that do usually have giant ideas on their own. They don't. They don't need a lot of help. Well, I, I I'm kind of glad that they put the campaign arcs in there. I'm sure. Like I said, I like them. I think they're great. Yeah. My question is, are you going to use it? Uh, I'm going to use it as uh, understanding how to put together a campaign arc, which I and actually don't know how to do. So, are you going to run a one to thirty campaign? Uh, probably eventually. Okay. Good. So, and, and I think I think you know. What, but I just—I have no idea right now how I would ever do that. Right. So being able to see how somebody puts together something that goes all the way through is actually useful for me. But I understand how somebody who's done it before may not be as useful, and other things would be well, more. Right. I'm just—I'm just trying to think. Like, I just don't know anybody that's actually going to follow it through. You know, I think it's good and and it's it's interesting, and I like the story, and you know that that's worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. But I—I I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm not even sure if I was running a one to thirty campaign that I would want it to necessarily follow this arc, because you know that game is so long that the butterfly effect is going to start to take hold, and mm-hmm. the game's going to go off in all sorts of different directions. I, I think it was. I think, I think, Mike, you bring up a great point, but I think people can also use these as a mode for inspiration for using it for their own. Maybe not verbatim as the book presents it, but hopefully, as someone reads through it. That kind of sparks an idea like, aha, I might not use what this book has, but this made me think of X, Y, and Z that would fit in what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Also, couldn't you start a later tier campaign using one of the sub arcs? Yeah, I mean, you could actually probably break this thing up into six mini campaigns and just say we're going to do the heroic or the, the paragon. Although each of those are kind of playing off of the previous, mm-hmm. which means you're going to be starting your story in the middle um, but I mean, the one one thing I liked about it, and the one thing you know, again, having written one of these, that I thought was that it isn't the main camp. It isn't necessarily the only campaign arc that's going on. You could actually mix them together, doing like the Dave Chalker five by five with three or four of these arcs going simultaneously, and the players can kind of jump between <laughs> each one as as the different plots go forward. <laughs> the world is ending in three yeah, different and, places, and you're, and you're going yeah. to hell, and the, the abyssal plague is going on. Yeah. Well, and because there's definitely not enough within the campaign arc to fill out all the encounters needed to get to those different levels. Right, right. I mean, they're like I said, I, I, I the particular the one that really got me is because the far realm is an interesting area to me. Um, the whole nine tongue worm campaign arc, um, I liked very much. But when I was reading it, I was like, I like this very much, and I'm never going to use it. Right. Sweet. All right, shall we move along? I like the adventure ideas in that section. Okay. On uh, page 15, where they talk about different, even just little adventures, like ambush a caravan, but they try to make sure 
<coughs> it seems like they try to make sure that uh, it focused on what's fun about those encounters rather than, or about those adventures rather than just ye old caravan. Mm-hmm. Well, and interestingly enough, I, as I look at those, it makes me think, Mike, isn't that kind of what you were talking about? Just little modular well, storylines that you can plug in? Between. Yeah, I want something in between because I like these, but they're relatively small. You know, you're not going to run eight sessions about one of these. You're going to run one or two, maybe. Um, and then the campaign arc, you're going to run, what, 90 sessions, 100 and, 100 and some sessions? And, you know, I mean, maybe I'm just kind of focused on one particular style of play these days. But to me, the 8 to 12 sessions you know, is something that I would actually use with a product like this. I feel the same <laughs> way about Nentir Vale. Or, I'm sorry, not Nentir Vale, Neverwinter. That you know, Neverwinter and Neverwinter is actually focused on that, right? Neverwinter is only one to ten. The whole book is focused on one to ten, and you know, I think that that's kind of a nice, clean, clear, uh, focused view of a campaign, and I, I think that's what I'd like more of. Right on. Anything else, or should we go? Talk- move on to encounters. Let's talk about encounters. This is, and, and again. More good advice, um, and I and I feel like creating vile encounters, you know, um, is is good to keep in mind for an evil campaign. But a lot of this is just good advice on building encounters. Yeah, well, it gives it a structure and a vocabulary that people can use to talk about, you know, what what goes into an encounter that I don't know if I've really seen as much before. Things like what are the objective and the tactics, mm-hmm. and who's the opposition, and what's the environment like. And what are the consequences of an encounter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, this is another one where they could be—you could use these. You know, these could be good motivators in any campaign, not just necessarily an evil one. Right. And then this is also the chapter where you get Tracy's favorite thing in the book. Which one? Curses. The curses. Oh, you're gonna skip over terrain. Yeah, we're skipping over vile terrain, well, which is actually one of my favorite parts. Yeah, of yeah, that's one of the best parts. I love the agony amplifier, but yeah, it's gonna be nasty. <laughs> yeah, one thing I like about the vile terrain in this one is that it's it's pretty hard. Like it's tough terrain, and I'm I'm a bastard as a DM when I use this stuff because I almost always make the monsters immune to it. You know, which I know is evil. Like that's, but it's vile <laughs> darkness. So I guess I'm allowed. But, you know, like, my bad guys always wear special necklaces, you know, that mean they can walk through this stuff. And it only works in that encounter. Right. Well, yeah, like, right, that's only ever going to work in that one encounter. Um, But, yeah, I mean, when you start taking, like, 15 damage for, you know, ending a turn in some of these places or, or, you know, that's going to stack up. Yeah, give, like, resist five for the psychic damage and then uh call the adventurers into the am- agony amplifier mm-hmm. and then hurt them yeah <laughs> right on so okay so that's terrain and there's other you know there's a handful of what uh, about a, two or three pages of terrain or yeah, five six seven seven eight different uh pieces of vile terrain right on and then we get into the curses which is actually an interest interesting in that it's a it's a relatively new mechanic yeah. And since Tracy loves it, she's going to tell you about it. <laughs> I think the angry DM will like it. Uh, the curses... I mean, well, I mean, pretty much they act like the disease mechanic, except that it's permanent until you've used uh, a spell or it says what it, uh, how you can lift it right. in, in the stat block. A quest or something you had to do to get rid of it. Right. Which I really like that part of it. 
Uh, I don't know how much these particular curses that are here. Some of them are okay. I kind of like some of the uh, diseases and stuff. Oh my too. god. What? Accumulated year stage four. Yeah. Started as blinded, slowed, and weakened. There's a player that's going to quit. <laughs> like, can I just kill myself? I right. throw myself into a, a fiery inferno and I'm going to reroll a new guy. Oh, wait, come on. You can just go on a quest or something. Like, I'm bad. blind. I can't do anything. I hope that quest doesn't involve fighting anything. That's your <laughs> Listen, all you have to do is perform a service for an eagle, evil hag, right. steal a kiss from Doing an archfey, or bathe in the pool of eternal youth. I mean, that's not that's that difficult. Easy. <laughs> I think your character would probably become an NPC. Yeah, right. Until it was done, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> oh, and, and, and I read. And I do actually, I really like the, the curse mechanic. And, and like you said, it's something that now that it's there and it's established, I can tweak it and change it to to my own curses, you know? Right. Well, like the noise and vapors one where you just carry a toad in your pocket for a week. <laughs> Which is awesome. I mean, who doesn't have a toad in their pocket? Rabbit. That's a frog. Whatever. <laughs> Prove it. Uh, I like the swallow a single drop of the river sticks. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good one. Yeah. It's right. good. I do like the lifting the curse the lifting the curse bits. And and I do like that there's an interesting sort of uh way in here of, of fitting in lycanthropy in a way that's not like, cool, my PC's a werewolf and I get to go out and kill stuff as a werewolf now. You know, where right. where lycanthropy actually feels like a curse. Right, right. You know, it's not detailed in this book, but one thing I would recommend for DMs out there that might be fun is design some monster stat blocks for creatures that the players might have, or even like a a werewolf version or vampire version or whatever, monster version of those characters, and let them run around for a game session or two uh, using those monster stat blocks. Yeah, one one easy way to do that instead of trying to rewrite a whole stat block is, um, you know reskin something that already exists exactly and rename yeah. it and you know you open it up in the character builder and rename it and then print out the stat block and they can kind of run around eating folk yeah you, know, you could you, you, you don't even i have guarantee to you it, that they would love you know i know from previous games that i've run where the players kind of turn into other things and get to run around one game yeah. you know, as something else they always they always seem to dig that you don't even have to reskin them there are stats for werewolves <laughs> and vampires that's true right <laughs> you could just you level, level, level them appropriately level. Maybe give them one power that's kind of based on their old, their old self. Right. right. All right. Did you uh, go ahead? I was gonna say. Speaking of changing things, did you see the glyph of changes? Uh, trap or hazard? Oh, are we jumping the traps? Well, yeah, we are. Well, I love traps. She had that. She had that. She had that great, that great segue. Are you gonna let it go? Well, we skipped over diseases. But yeah, I kind of talked about diseases already. There, there, there are diseases. Yes, yay, there are yay, yay, I like having more diseases. That's going to be awesome to have in the compendium. Yeah. I've never, you know, this is one of my true failings. Is I've never done diseases very well. That's because you suck. It's yeah. probably, that's very true. And I, I, I don't know if it's that I always end up resetting everything at the end. Like my, my players and I just kind of want to hit the big reset button at the end of the adventure and stuff doesn't tend to carry over. So, and I, you know. Speaking of you suck, my favorite trap 
is the Far Realm Anomaly. And I think it's, be- I think it's because I like rolling on random tables. Matt, stop yeah. typing. You're- That's not me. It's it totally you. you. We can all see it. I didn't it. even... <laughs> Yeah, the, the random table is pretty cool. I was going to say with the glyph of changes, I like the uh, on a hit that you turn into a tiny mouse for 1d6 hours. Yeah, right. That's also yeah. a, very, a very previous edition sort of thing to do. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to point out. Is that that's very old school. I was, uh, just, I was just thinking the Book of Vile Darkness with, with these diseases and, and traps and whatnot, I think a great companion kind of book for this that you can use for inspiration as well is Open Grave. Uh, yeah. A very early book, but it's still it's still rather deadly because it was an earlier book. And if you, you, I think I'm seeing a lot of ways that you can marry that book with the Book of Vile Darkness to to get some crazy awesome ideas. Yeah, and they talk about uh, Open Grave a few a uh, few times in this book or in the in the two books. Cool. One of the yeah that the farmer. I mean, there's 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 one. I don't want to jump over the crypt thing because I want to talk about the crypt thing, but the um. That 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 random list of the far realm anomalies that that's something you can use all over the place, you know. Like you don't have to just tie it to this. This is something that you can, you know. All of these things are great. They're, they they unlike the diseases and or unlike diseases and curses, they don't totally destroy. Well, I guess the target is blind, but they generally. <laughs> other than that one, they don't you know generally ruin your guy. Target, like you lose target, all your body hair. Target vanishes into the far realm. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but that creates more story, you know. Yeah, but it's a well, save ends. You know, right, you disappear right. and you come back and you're all messed up. I'd, I'd be was, I'd be half tempted to tweak this chart and make a new a new wand of wonder. Sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You could definitely have a character or a, a trap or something. You know, I mean, just beyond a far realm anomaly trap, you could use this, and it works at all tiers. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it scales really well. So that that one chart on thirty six is probably worth the cost of this book. And the other thing with the mouse is that if if I actually put that in somewhere, <laughs> I'd make sure that there was something that the mouse could do, like maybe it can crawl up and like chew on a rope and release the chandelier or something. Yeah. We, we are really ADD tonight, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we just keep jumping around. Can I talk about the crypt thing? No. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Crypt thing, and then we're moving on. I like the crypt thing. Um, now, one one thing I like about the crypt thing, and I saw this, there was a, I think it was in a Dungeon magazine article a long time ago. Somebody had remade the Demi Lich into a, into a hazard or a trap mm-hmm. instead of as a monster. And it was like the old first edition, you know, Demi Lich, where it had all of these weird things that, you know, the only way you could beat it was by hitting it with a, you know, a Holy Avenger or a plus five sword. And the only, it only had 50 hit points, but there was almost no way to do damage to it. And the crypt thing reminded me a lot of that. It, it looks kind of like a monster. It's got hit points and defenses. It's immune to pretty much everything. Uh, and then it's got what, you know, it, it's got the very typical crypt thing ability. But if you look back, I just happen to have a copy of the Fiend Folio here, the old first edition Fiend Folio. It actually matches the crypt, the crypt thing in the original Fiend Folio, which, by the way, is maybe the best monster book that's ever been put out. Um, it matches a lot of the same statistics that the crypt thing had. In fact, the picture looks almost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I recognize the art. I mean, or at least the art really evoked the old art to me. Right, right, and and you know, in so, in, but back in the day, this was a monster, and now they've treating it. They're treating it like a uh, like an object. They're treating it as a trap. I think that's a pretty powerful concept. You know, if 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 DMs are building their own stuff, building NPCs as traps and object as hazards rather than as npcs 
can be an interesting way to to steer things. Yeah, and, and actually the um, the death mold is sort of the same way, right? There's an, a long history of oozes and molds and things as monsters, and doing it as a as a trap works really well. Right, right. and it's actually yeah, they count it as terrain. Right. Uh, the other thing they have a lot of in this one, and then I'll shut up for a minute, are minion traps, mm-hmm. uh, which is a concept I hadn't really. You know, spent a lot of time with, and or hadn't really looked at very, very much. But the one that I love is the symbol of death. You know, <laughs> you know I was going to bring that one up because uh, earlier we were having a conversation about um, the old, like, uh, you know, instant kill sort of powers. Yeah, and, and I said I thought we'd it's, seen, I thought I thought we'd seen seen something brought in. Kill. No, but but it, I sort of felt like this is the fourth edition way of of kind of bringing in some of that concept because it's yeah. it, it, it can be instant killish. No, no, no. 10d10 necrotic damage, and if they're, they're, okay, so, if they're, if they're so under 30, they die? Little, let's do a little bit of math. 10d10 is average okay. 55. Okay, and, and it is 29th yeah. level. So, so, that's, okay. <laughs> so that's less than a quarter of the hit points of an epic tier character. And when epic tier characters hit zero, they restore to bloodied. So I have a solution. Have 300 hit points. Right, I have you, a solution. But, but you don't, that doesn't happen, because as soon as you get below 30, you die. I have a solution. Don't use it at the level 29. Right. What do you mean? Yeah, right. Throw it out there for the, like the level sixteen guy. I mean, that I, I'm all over. I, I think I think if you adjust the DCs, you can totally do that. Well, and the other thing I would do is because they're minion traps, I'd probably put about forty of them in one room. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now I'll be rolling all night. You know, I have to get some kind of iPhone app in order to handle all the damage. But um, and, you know, I thought there were some other uh, really. In terms I like of, the iron boot one. I said I was going to say that's one I of the like ones the I was going to In terms of of being trying to really vile and nasty, you're you're actually bringing back some of the older school feel. You know, like the iron boot, where uh, you know at one point you you lose your leg, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Right. You lose your foot, or right. I, I like the for the same reason I like the mirror of life trapping. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I'm what, trying what, to figure that out. If once somebody's in there. If you destroy, the, the, there's no way to get out. There's no way. To, somebody's always going to be in there. The only way to get out is if right. you switch with somebody drag, else. Drag someone else in. Right. And does it doesn't mention that in the flavor? Because I only. Oh yeah, no. It says yeah. once it's there, there's no escape until another creature looks in the mirror. I, I like the idea that that one was one that had a lot of story element yeah. to it because it was like you lost your friend and now you have to go find somebody and bring them in here and trick them into looking in the mirror so you can get your friend back. Or, and then you destroy the mirror and kill it. Whatever yeah, but what if it's a good person? What if all that's all that's left are the nice villagers? Or you know, maybe the whole point of your quest is to go save somebody, and it, you get there, and they're in the mirror. Hey, 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 hey! This is the book of vile darkness, not the book of flowery flower happiness. Yeah, no, you, you bring it. You lure the little village kids. That's why I think the village kids with, are the ones with that are candy, like Hansel and Gretel or some yeah. crap. Yep. And you're like, hey, come here, check out, hey, who is that? Look in that mirror. Gotcha, you little sucker! Oh, now we just got the NSFW tag. It, it's just a, it's just a creature, <laughs> so it could be Matt. like, it could be Matt's dog. Yeah, exactly. At Sammy Warpy. Sammy not is be, stuck in the mirror. Not be tricked. <laughs> but, but, but I think that's... too lazy to follow you. I think that's one of the points where, where this book is actually really interesting because this is a way of... This is a trap that I think can infuse some something really evil into your game. Right. But to do... But you can incorporate it into any campaign. Like, I, you can create some really interesting story and, and decision points by throwing that mirror of life trapping into a good campaign. And it adds, yeah. it adds a real element of vile evilness without doing an all-evil campaign. So this isn't really a, a one-trick sort of product where it's going to help you make evil games. It's just helping you add evilness into your game. Yep. Yeah, and I, I like things like 
you, you just need to, was it, start your turn adjacent to the mirror? Instead of fighting over, oh, I didn't look at the mirror. Oh, no, yeah, I think you said you were looking at the mirror. Oh, I didn't really mean I was looking at the mirror. No, you started your turn next to the mirror. You looked at it. <laughs> Done, yeah, right. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Yep, People yep. are going to be afraid of mirrors for now. That's not. another one that you'll want to scale to any level. You know, it's pretty easy to take. It's a level 10 trap, and it seems to me that it could have made it almost any level. Now, this and is this, be pretty devastating. This is the section yeah. section where I, you were tweeting about something in here, uh, weren't you, Tracy? Trying to figure out the um, the size of some of these. I, mean, I don't think it was traps. I think it was... Uh, no, it was the... Uh, was it some of the terrain? Uh, yeah, because they use different... They use a different terminology... Uh, an area of four squares on a side. Which is different than what we've seen in other products. That's a four by four, yeah. And it's different from even on that same page. Right. So yeah, because it says a two out... square by two square area or a four square on a side. Yeah. So I was just like, did I miss something somewhere? Because usually they try to be pretty consistent with, with wording and things like that. Yeah, and, and that's and I guess they used it in the, the Open Grave book too, or Demonomicon, one of the two. We'll make fun of Schwab next time we see him. He's totally been Schwabbed. <laughs> All right. The next book is about villains and monsters. And I actually really like the – once again, I like the advice uh, and the idea of, of really discussing and codifying. This is what – these are different types of villains. You know, the adventure villain, the tier villain, the campaign villain. Um, the, you know, the, and the concept of how to build a villain and how to use them. Uh, you know, different archetypes to, to give you some inspiration on villains. Uh, I've – found that that sort of uh fluffy stuff actually to be really useful advice who is xanathar is that an actual character or is that someone made up for this isn't that a beholder matt you you might know i think yeah that's a beholder i think because it has a comment without my peeps i am blind right because he's a beholder get it no i know (laughs) but really peeps well because it says the uh villainous organization Okay, let he's me having back up. some fun. Let me back up. Xanathar is a uh, is a beholder, and the uh, the eyes of Xanathar is a guild. Yeah, he's a death timer, right? I don't know if he's a death timer. And and th- this is one of the times that the, the book gets a little bit meta in order to try to make a joke. Right. You know, and, and I think that I mean, honestly, my favorite one time it did that, and, and we didn't talk about it, but in the in the player book. When they introduce feats, there's a quote from Loth, who, whose quote is, "Where's the chapter about me, uh, demon lord who achieved godhood? Hello, who in the nine hells wrote this thing?" You know, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Which is totally meta, but but kind of right. but kind of funny. That makes you right. kind of giggle. But yeah, Xanathar. Um, I'm sorry, I was half paying attention when you guys brought up Xanathar. Uh, lives underwater deep. It's a Forgotten Realms beholder. And you know what? I don't even think he's around anymore, but I think his guild is. I don't know. You'll have to check the latest novel by uh, Eric Scott DeBee. He was he was featured in um, the old uh, Forgotten Realms, or was it the D and D comic book? Was he? That yeah yeah. I, I just I just read those. The I think he's the a guy ones. who fought in one of the computer games too, or the video games. I think so. I don't remember. But yeah, so Xanathar was yeah he had an entire following. He lived underwater deep, and uh, I think it was like a thieves guild. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm bored about Xanathar. Okay, moving no, on. Xanathar is awesome. <laughs> monster themes. I, I like the fact there's more monster themes. I wish the monster builder did a better job of helping me incorporate them. 
uh, and you get a bunch of them in here. There's an yeah. awful lot of them. There are. Well, and, and really, I mean, one of them takes up a lot of, it's like double space, the Slave of the Nine Hells, because there's like a different brand for, or a different yeah, you know, type, of, type of one hells. for each of the yeah. Nine Hells. So. Yeah. I mean, I like monster themes, and I think they're really cool concepts. I think it's a really good way for me to sort of say, you know, I've got this organization in my game, um, and, and so this is how I'm going to tie them all together mechanically to make them feel like they're all from the same organization. Uh, or the same, you know, whatever. Um, I just feel like I'd use them more if the monster builder made it easier to incorporate them. You know, if I could just go in and say, okay, I want to add this theme to it, and it gave me a few options and it was done. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I mean, part of, part of it is, like, I end up doing themes on monsters just in flavor. I don't really need a, a lot of new mechanics generally to kind of show that they i mean it's nice to have from from time to time i don't know that i necessarily need this many of them and some of them like freezing doom you know they blow up and do cold damage you know i don't know i guess it's cool <laughs> all right so mike's bored with this should we talk about monsters no i mean yeah i mean some of these are some of these are much better designed than other ones i think i think some of them have really interesting kind of new things and some of them are you know another another new attack um i also tend to use these character themes as a way to kind of put things in place on monsters that they should have had anyway you know and and there's a few in here where like uh you know creatures are able to get out of status effects or you know right but those kinds of things i I oftentimes just find myself Making just it, do it anyway. Do, do, doing it myself anyway, yeah. I don't but that's what I'm saying. Like, a lot of these are things that I would kind of throw onto a creature, you know, on my own. I mean, they might give you a good idea, and you might, you might, you know, you might just bookmark the, bookmark the page and whip it out when you're, when you're playing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, giggle. But, um, yeah. uh, but a lot of times I don't, I don't need a lot of these. You know, I can kind of just do it on my own. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, monsters. We're really excited about monsters. Well, there's there's not a lot of heroic monsters. Are there any? I guess there's a few. Mm, let's see. We have fallen angels. They're all they're, par- they're all paragon. We have demon hordlings. Those are par- low paragon. Devil wrath. That is paragon. Dragon spawn. That is paragon. Filth hag that is the so the Sochar are upper heroic. The Sochar yeah, upper heroic. Right. right. And the, the um I, I know they have a, a history in the game, but as I read them now, um, all I can think about are the villains from Stargate. <laughs> They're totally the parasite worms that take over and try to infiltrate things and Yeah. I can't think of the name of the the creatures in Stargate, but it's totally them. I mean, this is one where I'm gonna complain a little bit about the difference between this book and the book of vile, the other book of vile darkness, the three, the third edition book of vile darkness. Um, the the third edition book of vile darkness had almost every demon prince and devil, uh, devil lord in it, full stats for all of them, and this one doesn't have anything higher than higher than level twenty. And yeah, they they might have follow up support D, uh, in DDI. That's usually what they're doing now. So yeah. I'm not sure how that'll work. 
Yeah, I mean, and I also, and I also, I also, also sort of feel like already been done. Yeah, see, I feel like there's a lot of places where if we were going to get that, we would have already gotten it. Well, right, we have, but, but yeah. they need they need to be fixed. Like you know, Demogorgon <laughs> from Monster Manual Two. I'd love to see a revised Demogorgon in this one. You know, and they should just do it. They did. They revised a whole bunch of stuff in Monster Vault. Hey, they've revised Orcus so, like seven times now. No, they haven't. <laughs> they've never. They've they've done three versions of Orcus, and all three of them were bad. Um, <laughs> wow. wow, Mike! That's true. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. The only the only Orcus worth they playing is the that. one that Mike made. Right, it's the only one you should play, and Over that a, one still requires a lot of tweaking. Over at SlyFlash.com. SlyFlash.com. Thank you. Um, <laughs> book. But I'm just, I'm looking at the, and, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, I guess actually Book of Vile Darkness might be one of the few books that had all of these demon princes in it at the time, and then other books came out later that redid them. Mm-hmm. But I think you can get third and 3.5 versions of Orcus. I think there's a number of books that include, uh, you know, new stat blocks for Orcus. So I don't, I don't know that, you know, once you've done it, you can never do it again. And you can't get much more vile than the demon princes or the devils. So I would have liked to seen at least one or two. I hear you. I would have paid an extra ten bucks for a full Neverwinter-sized book, but you know, I buy everything. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think we get a lot. So there's a lot of monsters that exist already. There are, and you don't get a lot of new monsters in here. Just a a handful of new ones that you know, and they're useful ones that I'm glad to have in the compendium because honestly, that's where I do my prep is in the compendium, not in the books, right? So having mm-hmm. it, having it published in this book means it'll be in the compendium, so it'll be there with my catalog yeah, of things to choose from. I'm finding myself more and more going straight to the books. I just use the books at my table now, yeah. And you know it, it works pretty well. They do have a nice solo. I like the uh, the dragon spawn, the nargul nargul dragon spawn. Now, does it remind you a little bit, at least in an image of the of the nazgul from Lord of the Rings? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> well, it's. It, I mean, it does in the sense that its wings are its arms, which is more anatomically correct than most of the dragons that have four arms. Okay. Which, which is like the which is like the Nazgul. What? What are you talking about? Four arms on. Um, well, if you so so different different fantasy. God, this is so off topic. Uh, different fantasy <laughs> dragons are done anatomically differently. Right. And some of them, if you think about it, the wings on, on almost all winged creatures in our world, in the real world. Ah, you just the use the operative there. word real. Oh, hang on a second. Yeah, but in fantasy, without without the without the arms with like opposable thumbs and fingers and hands, then it's then it's a wyvern. Right? Yeah, actually a wyvern, right, a wyvern is, is, is more correct. But like if you look at the dragons in Harry Potter or you look at the dragons in you look at the the, the Nazgul and Lord of the Rings. Their wings are their right. forearms. Right. Wherein, I, that's why I call I call them wyverns. Oh, do you? Because they, they need they need actual arm yeah. arms. Because Matt only sees things in terms of D and D. That's yeah. life is D and D. That's a reasonable way to think about it. When there's really bad traffic, right. I'm like, man, if I could cast a fireball, I could within twenty cars of me a be close stuck burst here all night. A close burst three. <laughs> You can really they, an area burst. Really mess up. Then, then you can really mess up traffic. That's right. Yeah, it would be exciting. <laughs> All right. So speaking of vile things, vile organizations. You got a bunch of those. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I haven't even read them. No, they're good. 
They give you, again, I see this book more as, I don't know, maybe my brain works differently, but as I read these organizations, it just makes me think, man, I could take this and do some awesome crap with my own ideas. You know what I mean? Like, right. And actually, you know, when I was harping about the, um, about the campaign paths, this is what I'm kind of thinking, that, that having these kind of modular pieces that you can pull out and throw into a game and, and use differently is more useful than the whole long line. Right. I agree. I want to know what the art, how they did the art for the Dark Rewards art and a few of the other ones, too. Well, What's, well, what they did is, you know, they grabbed a pencil and a piece of paper. Well, no, is it is it paint or is it chalk? Uh, what page are you looking at? Uh, 72. 73, yeah. 72, 73. That looks like, you know, I don't know. And if you look on the back pa- on the back cover as well, it's a little different than normal. And I'm kind of interested in what they how they did that. But I know now that I'm suffering from Yeah, it kinda it kinda looks like chalk, doesn't it? We could always try to contact the artist, I don't know. Or the art director. Yeah, you just email John and say, Hey John. Yeah, be like, John, who did this man? It's hey, for- let's talk about cursed items. I'm talking about the art. <laughs> So you're talking about the dark you like my section? Thank you, Mike. Yeah. I appreciate it. I liked some of the cursed items. You know, even the non-cursed items <coughs> felt darker, you know? Felt like there was a, a price to pay for using them. Yeah. And I like that. I also like the idea of the, the boons from um, Evil Gods. Because yeah. I'm, I'm half tempted to, like, give one of my good PCs a boon from, you know, Loth. Or right. or Tiamat or Th- Tharzdan or something, and, and make him sort of deal with that. Well, what's cool, yeah, and you can give it to them, and make you can also make it seem like it's a good thing at first, mm-hmm. and then have it kind of transform as time goes, and then the player can look back and be like, "Oh crap! The whole time I was fetching pizza for Tharzdan." Right, fetching pizza for Tharzdan. Eight plus eight. <laughs> that is trademark Matt James 2012. I, I, I like how all three of us have named that god and pronounced it differently. It's Thar's Dune. Thar's Dune, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, unless unless you, you're saying Garrett Gygax is wrong, I mean, I guess that's cool. <laughs> the one thing I'm trying to figure out is how I would, with the cursed items, how I would actually hand it out to my player. I think you hand them out as a regular item, right? Yeah, but well, you're, yeah, you're that's not, not supposed to know the the, the uh, attack power at first, or whatever the power is. Mm-hmm. Or no, is the- what I recommend, Tracy, like uh, one of many ways you could go about it is ha- like come up with your own version of the attack power and have it be really cool and awesome, and incentivize them to want to use it because most players are gonna be like, "I got a cool new item with a cool new power," and then when they use it, that's actually what activates the curse, which then puts into play the cursed item. Right. It's the property that they're not supposed to know. But, I mean, I guess you could just give them the stats and not give them the stat block for the item. Yeah, I would not give them the final... I wouldn't just give it to them or they're going to go, Oh, crap, I got a cursed item. I metagame this. (laughs) Well, I guess my question is, wouldn't it show up as another item for a while and then... Yeah, that's how I would do it. So, so you, you're the the item you hand out on the reward is something else. Like you might give but, him a vicious weapon, and right. then it turns into a berserk weapon. Right. But do all of them necessarily have the a, uh, an analog? An analog. I don't think they. Uh, well, probably do. not. But but I would also. Yeah, you could probably find one that's close. 
Yeah. I think that they should make analogs and make it easier on the that DM. Sounds, that sounds like a great topic for SlyFlourish.com. No, that's a player thing. I don't do player right. things. That sounds like a great thing for SarahDarkMagic.com. <laughs> I think it sounds like a great thing for DDI because I want stat blocks yeah. in the character builder. Yeah. There <laughs> <Right>. you go. <laughs> uh, I'll email Greg now. <laughs> well, you, the submission period is over. Submission period is over. Because yeah, I keep submitting stuff and, and Greg keeps emailing me unless going, you, Matt, the submission's been over for a right, while. I don't want to. I'm just saying as an idea. Not, not necessarily as a DDI article article. Whoa. Either you're. What? Not as an article. It's like how many things here? Not, not that many. One, two. Right. But what Jeff is saying is if you don't do it as a DDI article, they're not going to show up in the compendium. Right. I bet they could. You know, and so, 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 so some of us have regular articles on DDI that we can just put whatever we want, whenever it is, and without a submission window. So you know, you could just squeeze that kind of stuff in. You could. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> it's possible. Try to slide it in and see if they notice. Woo! So I, how about this adventure at the end of the book? It's awesome. Mean just, have just you guys every- actually looked through the adventure? It's actually. I did. Cool. It is. I really cool. like it. I want to run it as like a single night, single night yeah. belt. Like you could probably do that. You're not invited. Absolutely. I, you haven't invited me in like forever. Yeah. <laughs> ever since, that's, ever that's since the the, ep, the epic of Rusty Beard. <laughs> Actually, I recall inviting you a few times and you didn't show. Yeah, I know because you, you get up during the, I get yeah, I get up at like so yeah. So this adventure, book of vile darkness hey, within oh, the book of vile darkness. Hey. Like wow. So here's my big question: what, What's up with the tie between this and the movie? Nothing. Uh, yeah. I mean, was that a total like throw-in? Was that we got to do something about the movie? I mean, I don't know what I mean. I didn't even hear about the movie until I read this. So, yeah. Who knows the inside scoop? Yeah, I, no. <laughs> I love it when you talk things you can't talk about. I didn't. You brought it up, and I I dodged it, and then you. Why am I hearing redacted, redacted, redacted yeah, right, right now? We're hey, going to tell know, Rob hey, about We're going to tell Rob. All, you notice all the magic guys who do the tweets for Magic the Gathering use redacted now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike Shea loves it. I love it. I love it when people talk about things they can't talk it's about. all about it. I like the an NDA. NDA. I can't talk about it. But I can get people excited about it. That's about it. Hmm. Yeah. So is there still going to be a movie? Do we know that? There is some kind of movie, and it's I guess it's a sci-fi movie or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's going right to TV. Yep. Yeah. So that's bound to be awesome. Actually, I'm pretty um, sure it's going to be just sci-fi. Yeah. Is it a fantasy or is it another like, hey, look, modern day people fell back into a Dungeons and Dragons world? Man, I don't even know that much. To be honest with you. Well, threat ever. Well, the the second D and D movie was uh, a sci-fi only. What? This, there were two D and D movies. I heard the second one was better than the first. Yeah, and the, the second one was uh, a sci-fi directed TV movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure. Ha! I knew something Matt James didn't pretend to know about. What do you mean, pretend to know? <laughs> oh, we all know that you're just uh, looking at things up in Wikipedia as we talk. Well, so right now, right now, I'm just seeing where Book of Vile Darkness is showing up. Yeah. I, I think pre- it says sci-fi, so that's where it will be. Right. You know, I kind of one thing I would love is for people who've actually used something like an artifact with the concordance and everything to to actually say how they use it in a game because I still haven't figured that part out. Oh, I use artifacts. Artifact. I use artifacts all the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah but, my my, with, my issue is that I have like too many artifacts, and it's like okay, well, artifacts are becoming too commonplace in my in my game. Well, it's supposed right, to right. leave, right? 
but I'd love to see examples of how to actually play these like pleased and satisfied and normal mm-hmm. and unsatisfied stuff out. Well, you know what, Tracy? We yeah. will, we will do that advice episode because I can totally talk about that. Okay. And Matt so J- Matt James is not invited. So so I was gonna say Jeff knows a lot about reading books and and getting pleasure. <laughs> oh. Hey, you're the one that bought the. Did you guys see, as I quickly changed the subject, the vile shadow <laughs> demon? That It's stat block. Is it, it reminds me of like a solo. It's pretty cool. Where is it? On page 86. He's just trying to save himself from the book of erotic fantasy. We're going, we're going back. But it, yeah, so uh, it reminds me of like a solo monster. It's pretty big for an elite. Yeah, it's got a lot of different abilities. It's triggered actions and it's pretty cool. Well, the triggered action is a resist. I hate that. I hate those. I never use them. The demonic. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing I really like about the adventure is it includes the poster map, and it only uses the poster map, which is something that always drives me crazy with a lot of the products that uh, Watson puts out. What do you mean it only uses it? What do you mean? You it doesn't require you to, you know, suddenly have a dry erase mat and then, right. you know, end up going to the same so, thing. There's another product that does that. It's called Monster Vault Threats the Ninja Veil. I know that map. The map that is in there is fantastic. Well, yes, that's a great, great map. We it's, talk, it's, that's, that's a different product, but yes, right. I, I think we talked about that too. Yeah, we, but we the idea that you have, and they and they do it with this one as well. That two right. of the maps are it's one poster map, right? But one side has two maps, so Absolutely. that way you actually are getting three encounter encounter areas off of the single map. Yeah, it's really cool how they do that. And and like if you're like me, I go and had four, right? Yeah, I had four. And so you laminate, I don't know about you, I go to Kinko's and I get these laminated, and then, so, aside from using it for, obviously, the Book of Vile Darkness, you now have these three separate locations that right. you can use for any of your future adventures. Right. And these are good ones. They have a lot of character, but they're not so specific that you can't use them with something else. Yeah, they, they, Watsy tries to keep them, you know, pertinent to what, what product they're with, but at the same time, generic enough that you can right. customize it. So, I mean, one of the things that I know I will use from this purchase, well, full disclosure, I didn't purchase it. This is a, I got a review copy. Whoa. Had I purchased it. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I'm the only one. Uh, had I purchased it, the one component that I know I would continue to use forever is that poster map. You know, yep. a lot of this stuff can come and go and I might use it and, and might not, but I know that I'm going to be using that poster map for years and years. And like your laminate trick, one of my favorite tricks with poster maps is a to buy a big uh, acrylic or polycarbonate sheet from Home Depot for like twenty bucks. Is that where they sell it? Yeah, they sell them. You can you get them in like the window section <coughs> for like storm windows, and it's a big flat sheet of unbreakable plastic. And you can just put the poster map on the table, put that piece of plastic over it, and it perfectly smooths it out. And you can put minis right over it, and you can draw right on it. Right. And it's fantastic for keeping these maps nice and, and makes them much and, nicer. And for our use. listeners, you said it's called an acrylic sheet? It's either acrylic or a polycarbonate sheet. Cool. And I haven't found a good place to buy it online. I've only been able to buy them at Home Depot. And somebody, I had a, um, somebody on Twitter, though, told me that you can actually go to some... If you, if you find some hardware stores that custom cut these things, they, they might have a crappy piece in their scrap bin that they'll cut for you for like $4. So you might be able to get one for even cheaper, but for twenty bucks or something that you can use on any poster map, and they work on the wet and dry erase maps. Yeah, it looks like uh, yeah, Home that's Depot. That's a high value. Home Depot's got like a seventy-two by thirty-six, which is decent. I mean, it'll be larger than some of these maps, but it's big enough to kind of no, overlap yeah. them. 
the 24 by 36 is, I think, my favorite. Or, or, yeah, Excellent. I think it's... Maybe it's an 18 by 24, but it's it's almost a perfect fit for these poster maps. And the real big one, you can use, you can actually put two poster maps side by side and have it on top, which Very I've good. done, and it works really well. So I highly recommend that for using poster maps. And polycarbonate, it's not like glass, right? So it no. can't be shattered. It's no, like it's, a plastic. It's, it's plastic, and they say it's almost unbreakable. I beat I beat them up, and they never break. Yep, looks like 20, 20 bucks for 12 by 24. Yep. Wow, that's an excellent suggestion, Mike. Thank you. You can get it on Amazon.com in case you're wondering. I don't think you can. No, I'm looking right at right, right now. At the right size? What's the size? Yeah, so it says oh. polycarbonate sheet. <laughs> We're boring Tracy. <laughs> one qu- this is pertinent to D&D. One quarter, well, or, sorry, one quarter inch thick, 12 inches by 24. Yeah, that's not, 12 inches is too narrow. So It's only a foot. So recently, uh, when we were recording an episode, I did have a listener tell me, if an episode is going along, don't worry about it as long as the content's really good. So I think it's time to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Oh. oh. <laughs> Every party's got a pooper. That's why we invited you to party pooper. So any last, any last thoughts on the Book of Wild Darkness? It's good. Yay. I like it. I did too. So we and all- I, th- I think it's really good for running small campaigns where you want people to be evil for a little while. I don't know that I would run a long campaign with it, but that's that's me and my group. Right so we all approve. I, I thought the advice in it was pretty stellar. Um, I, and at the same time, there's a lot of crunch that I that I look forward to pulling out as more options in, my, in the com- compendium when I'm looking for things there. Um, so all in all, um, a, a good product. Both as as buying the physical product, so you can read a lot of that good advice, but the the crunch will be good for everybody with a DDI subscription. Definitely. All right. So uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor as well yeah. as our guests, Mike Shea and Matt James. Yay! Where can uh, people find you guys? Matt, at, go ahead. At home. Oh, Laura Matt. <laughs> you can find Don't show up at my house. Yeah, you can find me at home. Uh, loremaster.org or uh, on Twitter at Matt underscore James underscore RPG. Or in, or in greater bookstores near you. Or in greater bookstores or dark alleyways or local hospitals, wherever. <laughs> See, I was trying to help you plug something, but whatever. Move oh, on. What were, no, I missed it. What are you, ta- what are you, you talking about now? Your name is on books, right? Those, oh yes, those books okay. are those books are sold in bookstores. Yes, there's a future book coming out that's called Into the Unknown, the Dungeoneer's uh, Survival Handbook. I think they keep changing the title. I think and uh, some future articles and fun stuff. And I go to all the conventions and I really like chocolate ice cream. And that's it. Excellent, Mike Shea. Uh, SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com/slash/slyflourish. Can I can I plug an article that's related to this book of Val Darkness? You can plug anything and everything, sir. Uh, so I've, I have said uh, no right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I lost my train of thought. So I had a um, an article on DDI called "Abyssal Plague Epic Threats." You can find it very easily by googling "Abyssal Plague Epic Threats," and it's an article about the Abyssal Plague and the threats therein. And uh, but it also includes another campaign arc that probably fits well with uh, the vile darkness stuff. So uh, it it definitely has some vile monsters in it that are specifically designed to to really 
dork with players. So give it a look. Right on. I feel like Tracy and I should pimp something too while we're here, but you know. What do you got? Well, I mean, I've got my new column on wizards.com. You got a column on wizards? Yeah. Yeah. What's it called? She's never going to link to you in it. It's called Joining the Party. I get to uh, talk about all the awesome stuff people in the D&D community are doing. Except for things on Loremaster. That's yeah. cool, man. Girl. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I meant. Yeah. I didn't know you had a column. <laughs> it's good that you keep up with the industry so much. <laughs> My, I'm designing content. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm working on a, a DDI sandbox uh, adventure article. And it's, it's one of the biggest ones that DDI has put out yet. So it's coming okay. out. Coming out, I don't know when it's coming out. Good story. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> High five. <laughs> anyway, you can contact us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Call into the Tomes Biz line at 919 B I Z T O M E. That's 919 Biz Tome. Uh, or swing over to the forums at gamershavenpodcast.com. Any of those places, you can let us know about your thoughts on this product, on future reviews, on the show, on. Whether or not we should ever have Matt James on the show again, I swear he was not invited. He just showed what up. What is wrong with I didn't have anything <laughs> bad? You think I would have kicked your dog or something? Oh my lord! Uh, anyway, you can find show notes for the show at thetomeshow.com. And that, my friends, is episode one eighty-seven. We've managed to shake off the curse, not stab each other in the back. And still achieve our wicked goals as we discuss the book of vile darkness on the tome. The tome. I just did it. The tome. The tome. The tome. I'm off the wall.